Hey, this is John Wood, director of the Waldron Center for Entrepreneurship at Harding University. And this is Tyler Roth, MBA student at Harding University and graduate assistant to John. And welcome to Project Undergrad, a podcast to supplement your undergraduate business education by answering tough questions about the marketplace that might not be answered in the textbook. Hey, I'm excited to get this started, so get ready to listen and learn. Let's do it. Welcome to Project Undergrad. My name is John Wood, and I'm here with my colleague, Tyler. Say hello, Tyler. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited today because we have Jim Martin on here, and he's talking about replenishing the soul. And I, I, when I was thinking about that topic, Jim, I thought, you know, every time I visit with you, I feel like I feel energized and, and feel like my soul's being replenished. So that's the perfect topic for you. So uh, Jim, since January of 2014, Jim has served as the vice president of Harding School of Theology in Memphis, Tennessee. Prior to this appointment, he served in various congregations in Alabama, Missouri, and Texas as a preaching minister for 36 years. Most recently, he served the Crestview Church of Christ in Waco, Texas for 20 years. That's a good tenure, Jim, and they, uh, I know that you've introduced me to a couple people in that church. It says, Jim received his MDiv from Abilene and his degree in ministry from Harding School of Theology. Jim has a passion for mentoring and developing Christian leaders and other Christ followers. He has regularly led mentoring and coaching groups for Christian leaders throughout the United States. He also spends much time coaching, mentoring, encouraging individual ministers and professors, I'm going to add, because he's been an encouragement and mentor to me. He serves as a partner with Hope Network Ministries. Jim and his wife, Charlotte, are grandparents, and they enjoy spending time with their three grandsons, Brody, Lincoln, and Sully, and one granddaughter, Elise. Hey, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, John. And I'm just glad to be here with you. I think so much of you and your work at Harding and I just have so much respect for for you, John, and uh, I'm I'm glad to be here. Well, it's interesting because I, I know it, it's funny how life works out. Is that you're a you were a business major in undergrad, and now and now you're head of the school of theology. And I was a chemistry major in undergrad, and I'm teaching in the school of business. So you know, students always want to know what they you know what should I do in life and. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we had it figured out, right? <laughs> oh, it's all figured out. That's exactly right. Yeah. Now, I would have never, when I began to kind of take another path after that degree, I just never dreamed that I would circle around again and it would be so useful. Life is interesting. Yeah, your business degree is useful. And in fact, we've had discussions and you've helped me a lot with, especially in my some of my work and our, our thoughts on uh, business as a ministry and how businesses exist to bless others. I, I always like to ask people really quickly for the student's benefit, a little bit about your story. You didn't just wake up one day and become the head of the School of Theology. There was a little bit of uh, background to that. It always helps to know the background. Yeah. So uh, I'm a graduate of the University of North Texas and got a degree in business kind of thought I knew what I was going to do. And then I did an about face in a lot of ways and ended up going to a small Bible college in North Alabama and began preaching some and ended up preaching for a long time. Most of those years in uh, North Alabama, seven years in Kansas City, Missouri for three and then Waco, Texas for 20. 
And during all of that, I'm reading widely and gaining a lot of experiences and just learning. My goodness, just learning how to navigate life and how to how to function better as a person and as a leader. So I feel like my journey has been years of learning and I'm still doing that right now. Jim, you know, mentioning that and, and reading your bio, as you know, I'm a big fan of your encouragement letter. Can you just tell the Thank you. real quickly about the encouragement letter? Because I, I think that students, I know you, you direct some of it towards ministers, but I, I know that there's students here on campus that would really benefit from it. Well, at the first, I think it was maybe February of last year, as this pandemic began, I started sending out what I call Jim Martin's encouragement note. It's a it, it's short. There are five points in every one of those. I'm just trying. I'm hopefully trying to say something that is encouraging in some way. Usually, some of that comes out of my own life. Uh, it's meant to be practical. It's free. You subscribe by Jim Martin dot substack s-u-b-s-t-a-c-k dot com and again it's it's a freebie but I, I write that it comes out every other week every other monday morning there will be one to come out this coming monday morning so that's what i do it seems like you always say something that is what i needed to hear that monday so i i Thank appreciate you. you doing that and i i try to let you know that all the time but jim you do I, I, I know that we're talking about replenishing the soul, and I think that there's something that we don't practice, uh, you know, rest or replenishing enough. I know that, what are we, 10, 11 weeks into the semester, and I'm exhausted. (laughs) So mentally, emotionally, how are we impacted by this pace of life that we keep? I know the students, it seems like they just got finished with midterms, right? So you could Mm -hmm. see them in the hallway studying and panicking. And then now it's club week this week. It seems like our plates are full. How do we keep from being tired, drained, and depleted? Well, that's a good question. When I was younger, I sort of prided myself on how hard I could push it. I would tell people I could meet them for breakfast. And then if somebody wanted to meet late at night, I could do that. And I thought, well, yeah, you can do that. And I would I would sometimes, after my kids went to bed, I would work into the late hours of the night. I'd be in the office first thing in the morning, maybe the first one in the office. And this was not right, but there was a pride associated with that, that I can outwork you and I can, I, I can work very, very hard. Part of the problem with that, when you're very young, your adrenaline and your, your high energy just feeds that. And so you begin to believe your press. And yeah, sure enough, I can. And people will, oh, people will compliment you for that. Oh, my goodness. He is the hardest. About They used to say, some would say about, he's the hardest working minister we've ever had. He's at everything and he does this and that. You know, I would just burst with pride. The problem with that is it really does catch up with you. And it's a, it's a poor use of the body and mind. I began to notice after a while, I wasn't as fresh. I wasn't as on point emotionally with people. Sometimes I would miss certain emotional cues because I was just tired. And I'd miss the subtleties, especially with my wife. 
and, and sometimes my kids, you know, this not like when I'm rested. And when I used, I would begin to hear people talk about, look, we're, we're in a marathon, not a sprint. And it sounded so cliche-ish. And then I realized they are right. If I'm going to be around for a while, I've got to prepare myself for the long haul and not just the short term. Anyway, that's a that's a beginning. Some of that just kind of can feed our own sense of importance. Can you can develop an arrogance by how hard you and how hard how how hard you can push it? I can I can begin to feel like it's all up to me. I can I can go on and on with that. Uh, it, that's a start anyway. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Martin, quick question. So being in college, there's not as many people that depend on you as compared to people that get older. So obviously you guys have wives, you have families, you have full-time jobs. For me, I have classwork to get done. I have some grad assistant work to get done. And then really like, that's about it. That is truly depending on me to, to do work. And so it's, it seems that the older that I get, the older that the people that are listening to this podcast get, the more that they're going to be dependent on to accomplish and to provide. Um, so my question for you is, when I live and work as if everything depended on me, what might get distorted? I'll tell you, as a, as a, as a, Christian, as a Christian, one of the things that gets distorted is who's in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can begin to think that I can make things happen and just give me enough room and enough space and... Mm-hmm. Before you know it, God is my helper. He's not in charge. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of use God to get done what, what I want to get done instead of waking up and and starting my day with, you know, Lord, I don't know what you have in mind for the day, but I pray that I would be faithful, which puts me in a better place than acting like I'm in charge. So I, I just think, you know, some of it is this, the, the distortion of just kind of who you are as a self. You know, I'm a, I'm a married person. I could begin to think, well, you know, I'm a married person and I can do this. The, the truth is I'm accountable to God for how I treat my spouse. I'm not in charge. Uh, I'm accountable to him for how I treat his daughter. So I, I think as much as anything else, that's one thing that can get distorted. And maybe, maybe the other thing that gets distorted, though, is I think you or John alluded to this, Tyler, is my sense of I can do it all. I'm invincible. That has a way of catching up with you. you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. When you're young, you think you can push through things. And at some point in life, you realize that you can't and you have to use. And like Jim said, is that we're not in control. How can rest and replenishment how can that impact us emotionally, our energy, our creativity, and our, our relationship with God? How does rest and replenishment, how can it impact those? Well, you know, somebody said one time that if you want to think about rest, think about the kind of work you do and then go do the opposite. <laughs> so if you're like if you're like me and many others and much of your work is on the phone, it's in a chair, it's over a book, it's working on a document. Go out and do something with your hands. I have a I have a buddy that uh, he has tools these these very sophisticated tools in his woodworking tools in his garage, and he does all kinds of things. When it it, it is a form of rest because he's he's it's a completely different kind of work. 
but there's a sense of of re- he's he's resting the part of him that is usually engaged, and he's doing something totally different. I found at this point in my life, I'm a grandparent. One of the ways I rest is actually being with my grandchildren and doing these things I would never do at any other time. You know, I'm not in charge. They're doing, you know, they're, I'm throwing the football. I'm doing this. I'm wrestling with them. I'm not thinking about a document. I'm not thinking about words. I'm not thinking about a deadline. On the other hand, sometimes rest may be taking a nap. Sometimes rest may be putting my phone down where I'm not looking at it so much. You know, but that can have a way of, of this rest of refreshing me emotionally. You know, one of the things about dealing with another person is you you got to learn to pay attention. It's awfully hard to learn to pay attention when you're just exhausted. Mm. But if you don't pay attention to another person, I don't care if it's if it's a business transaction or a church transaction or marriage, you're going to miss a lot of cues. Yeah. You're just going to miss some things because you're just too tired. But I've noticed when I'm fresh and I'm on point and my wife says something and I can just sense in her voice, she's very tired and I need to I need to initiate going out to eat or whatever it is. Mm. Uh, so, you know, emotionally, I function better when I'm fresher. I feel like I also connect with people better when I'm fresh. You know, anybody can talk concepts. You know, you can, uh, John, you can throw a concept my way and I can throw a concept your way. And there's a time for that. But one of the ways John and I connect is by talking about things that really matter deeply to both of us. Well, that means it's going to, if it matters deeply, it involves the emotions. Mm-hmm. And if I just completely miss John's emotions, I don't care what's said. I've missed part of it. I've missed part of it because the, the, the thing I've got, and this is really important. The best thing I've got to bring to any group, any business, any church, any relationship is my presence. When I am fully present and I show up emotionally and mentally, when I show up, I bring value. But when you get about one half of me, while the rest of me is worried about this stupid phone, or what's what's on it or something else i'm not giving what i could be giving Mm. best thing i have to give is my fully present self Mm. and that's good you know and i i'll go back to what i said at the beginning jim is that i always appreciate because uh, i do feel not only listened to, but understood when we speak. And I, I, I do feel like visiting with you, I'm, I do get energy from that because I'm able to talk about things that are meaningful to me. And uh, I really appreciate and value your thoughts on this, especially with your background and your experience and and the relationships that you've built over time at these different these different churches. I, I want to take a little bit of a sidestep there, yeah. Jim, is that I know that most of our listeners, we try to have our target audience being students. Uh, what would you say to ministers? Because to me, a minister 
I know that you have a network of of ministers and that can be an emotionally draining job. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine in one week doing a funeral and a wedding, right? I mean, there's no way I could preach on Sunday. I would be just emotionally drained. How do you keep sharp as a minister where you're not tired and snap at someone that in the church are, but listen, but don't understand. What, what do you, how do you do that? You, how do you manage your energy like that? Well, well, the most important thing for me has been the way I begin my day and the commitments I have for each day. So I begin each day. I get, I'm, I get up early. Uh, I have a certain block of time where I'm reading from my Bible I usually about three days out of the week, I will journal. I pray for people that I know I'm going to interact with during the day. And usually I have a book where I may read one page or 10 during that hour or, but I'm I'm just need something that will just feed me. And then I'm committed to exercise some every day. That you right now that's happening about four out of seven days, but it's four out of seven days. That's helpful. But what I've found is if I have a rhythm of life where I'm investing like that every day, that when I hit that funeral and that wedding or whatever it is, I'm I'm in better shape to deal with that than if the well is already pretty dry and now I've got to deal with some really hard situations or, or a contrast between a, the joy of a wedding and the and sadness of the funeral. So I would say the commitment to what I'm doing every day is the biggest thing. I know you, you said that you exercise four out of seven days and that's four. And I know I, I, I struggle finding or setting aside time. How do you keep from beating yourself up? But how do you show some self-compassion or because it sounded to me like you, you were you were saying it then when you said at least four out of seven days. And, you know, that's not seven out of seven, but hey, it's four out of seven and I'm working on it. Well, where that I mean, John, where that is coming from is I've had some back issues for a couple of months, lower back. Well, there was a point where it. it it was impossible for me to do certain kind of exercises. Mm. And, and at first I would just think, man, you're not doing it. And it was frustrating. And then, you know, I realized, well, okay, I, I did exercise four days or three days. Even I did get that much done. And kind of what I'm thinking more about these days is not so much how, how high can I jump, but, Am I taking a couple of steps in the right direction in my life every day, even if it's a small step, but there's momentum there in small Mm. steps. Um, I told, I told a student yesterday who was telling me about some difficulty difficulties he was having with uh, study skills. And I said, you know, if you will just invest 45 minutes tonight in writing a part of your paper, is that going to be enough to finish the paper? No, but it's 45 minutes. You, you've progressed 45 minutes, right? Today. You weren't, you weren't there yesterday. You didn't do it at all. Last couple of days, 45 minutes is huge. And what if you were to do something like that tomorrow? And that's how we, and so little bits, little bites every day, 
I found is important in my own life. Mm. Yeah, there's a a book called Atomic Habits. I don't know if yeah. if either of y'all read it. But yeah, he talks about getting one percent better every single day yeah. instead of trying to make these massive leaps of improvement. We can just do little by little each day and, and grind away at it. So that's interesting, yeah. Doctor Martin. We've kind of talked about some of the things that you've done to find replenishment in your life away from your job. So we heard you say, or heard you mention hanging out with your grandkids, um, working with your hands, exercising. Are there any other habits or practices that you put to work uh, to provide that replenishment? It's important for me to spend, I I find that I fit, I'm, I experience some replenishment when I do something fun with my wife. I mean, if it's just going out to eat, right. but if, and I'm talking about the kind of meal where we just relax, we're not picking up something, right? but that's replenishing. It's important to me to watch ball games. This is my time of the year. I mean, joy <laughs> getting absorbed in a ball game where I'm not thinking about anything else and it's right. okay. That's important for me. If I can sit down with a cup of coffee and look at a book that has nothing to do with work, it may be a biography. It may be something that I just enjoy reading. I feel I can feel so replenished after something like that. If we don't take care of ourselves, how's that going to damage? I mean, you may have already mentioned it, but how's that going to damage our relationships with our children and our family? If you, mm-hmm. you, you see anything like that in your You've probably counseled many people over the years. I know that when I don't, when I'm on edge, I I know that when I'm under a lot of stress and let's say, you know, I had a, had a, some kind of dinner, some kind of meeting or whatever. Anyway, I haven't exercised now in a couple of days and then, and then somehow the early morning time, it just, I don't know what, it wasn't much. And I can feel myself get on edge with my wife. And it's sort of like I, it just builds up and builds up. And, and I say something and it comes out way too sharp and direct. You know, and I think, come on. I'm, I'm thinking that to myself. Uh, and I know some of that is just just being tired. You know, what I found that's, that's really helpful is as I think about these relationships is for me to be self-aware enough to know how I'm feeling. Like for me to think about sitting down with a group of people to work on some kind of project and I'm feeling tired and frustrated at the last meeting I had. And if I can think to myself, look, you're, you're kind of on edge. Watch your tone of voice when you say something in this meeting. These people didn't do a thing wrong and don't, don't start with that. But, but some of that begins, I think, with being self-aware enough to know this could, this could mess up my relationships. I noticed I was, I was talking to one of my adult daughters on the phone a month or two ago, and I just said something, I don't know. It wasn't, other people wouldn't have noticed it. But I, I, I was just on edge, and I think she picked up on that. And I thought, come on, I don't need to do that. So I, I just think that's one thing is we sometimes we, we speak too sharply when we don't take care of ourselves. But sometimes we don't have the emotional bandwidth to handle the tough 
moments. Oh, that's true. You don't have that reserve, that need that reserve. to take that kind of impact. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, Jim, you know, there's a yeah. lot of us, and especially in college, who are uh, high achievers. You know, they, we set goals and we want to produce and we want to do things like that. But I want to become a certain type of person instead of doing or achieving certain types of things. And I think this is what Jesus talks about in the Gospels, right? How can we intentionally become a better person? Do I hear you say, fill the cup with things that are important, hang around the community that's important? Can you build on those? I mean, and those may not even be right, but can you you discuss those or speak to those? Yeah, and you know this is this is especially important, I think, for students because, at least when I was a student, I would do this one day thing. Well, I, well, right now I'm a student, but one day yeah. I'll get it all together. <laughs> one day I'll figure this out. One, the truth is, you're creating habits right now. I mean, how do you deal with pressure right now? He said, "Well, I do this, I do that, or I just explode, or whatever it is." You deal with that right now because that carries over into probably how you're going to deal with pressure over the next 10 years, whatever. One of the things I found helpful is if I could think about what kind of person do I want to be? Ron Washington, uh, third base infield coach for the Atlanta Braves. Of course. Used to be manager, yeah, used to be manager of the Texas Rangers. So Washington's known for these infield drills where he works with catching the, catching the ball after, on the last hop, for instance. And uh, I, heard, I heard this interview not long ago. Washington was talking about younger people who learn well. And this, this goes for older people too, by the way. The younger people who, who learn well and he said, uh, younger people who learn well learn best when they don't already think they know how to do it. Because mm-hmm. once they think they know how to do it, then they lose focus toward that and they go to something else. I thought that is good. So, and I'm thinking that not as a younger person, but as a, as a, as a guy my age, I'm thinking, okay. So once I kind of think I know how to do something instead of building on that, I just completely leave that because I got that down. He's got a, he, that's a great point. So one of the things I would ask is myself is what kind of person to answer your question, sorry, in the next 10 years, what kind of person do I want to be like? And if I could kind of write that out a little bit, you know, man, I want to be this way. I want to not just what do I want to do or what do I want to achieve or buy, but what do I want to become? Mm. What do I want to become? And then in my own small way, even while while I'm at school, if that's the kind of person I want to become, then how do I deal with today? If I'm under pressure at school, whatever, you know, it could be, could be you're, you're, you're an athlete and there's the pressure of the game tonight. Or it could be the pressure of some kind of uh, paper, you're, whatever it is. If I'm under pressure, what kind of person do I want to be in a few years? How do I want to handle pressure in a few years? How do I want to do that? And so 
in a small way, how could I make a good start at that today? Mm. Just in a small way. One of the things I, I want to do is I think about the kind of person I want to become. I want to think about what that might mean for today. My father-in-law told me, he said, you know, I really hurt my body pushing the limits. He, he was a minister and he preached all over the country. And he said, I didn't think I needed to rest. And I didn't think I, he said, I grew up on the farm and I could work hard. And he said, don't do it the way I did it. I mean, he had heart trouble at a young age and he had Parkinson's and he had cancer and all of that passed away when he was younger than I am now. And he, he would tell me, man, you know, don't live life the way I lived it. And so I want to think as a younger person, what kind of person do I want to be? And if, if for instance, if I want a body that's still decent in a few years, maybe I need to take care of it today. Do you have any thoughts about uh, the students and ministers uh, when they feel overwhelmed or anxious? Yeah, here's a tool, and it's not mine. It comes from a guy named Steve Cuss, C-U-S-S. Um, Steve wrote a book called, I can't remember the name of the book Steve wrote, but something about uh, uh, leaders dealing with anxiety. But Steve basically, and I don't remember if this is in the book or if this is just something I heard him say in conversation, but basically one tool we can use when we're anxious, I want to decide what I have control over, number one. What do I have control over? And then I want to clarify what is it that other people have control over? And I really don't. And then third, what's God's role in this? Another way to say it, what's mine to carry? What's someone else's to carry? What's God's to carry? What a lot of us do with anxiety is we carry other people's stuff. Somebody's unhappy with me. I mean, I didn't really do anything, but they're unhappy with me or they don't like me or they, they wanted it done different or said different. And if I'm not careful, I began to take responsibility for their happiness in my head. If I had just done better, been better, whatever, they would be happy and I should have done this or should have done that. Well, the truth is, that's not mine to carry. I can't fix them. That's their deal. What I can do is I can be responsible for the way I speak and the way I treat people, for the way I spend money, for the way I do whatever it is I have control over. But I can't carry the weight of all these people and what I don't have control over. And so what I, I part of, of what I've learned to do is I need to be praying for these people and, and not just walking around carrying all their burdens. I've got adult children. I'm not responsible for their decisions. Now, their decisions may bring me joy or it may bring me sadness, but I'm not responsible. Otherwise, I'm going to be walking around bearing the weight of these adult children when I can't control their lives. I can control how I speak to them, how I love them, what I do with them. So what is it that is mine to bear? What is someone else's to bear? And then number three, what's God's to bear? The outcomes 
of where you're going to get a job in two years, who knows? You put that in God's hands. Now, do you do what you can do? Sure you do. You, you work on your grades. You do what the professors tell you to do that will help you get a job. But in, just in terms of what's going to happen, you put that in God's hands. Mm-hmm. And so that's helped me a lot is distinguishing between what I own, what others own, and what is in God's hands. You know, Jim, one thing I thought of while you were talking about that is, you know, you, you, you're you not responsible for other people's happiness. And uh, uh, from a student standpoint, you know, I see a lot of students who mm-hmm. seem to, and at that age, try to make their parents happy. Yeah. I, I'm majoring in this for, and, and it's sort of an interesting conflict there because they, at, at some point they're not responsible for making their parents. Yeah, actually, um, we were talking earlier or Dr. Martin was talking earlier about how we have a decision now and we're dealing with anxieties or pressure. We have a decision now to create better habits for the future. And there's actually, and it's funny because you guys, both of you guys kept mentioning become, we're trying to become something by the decisions that we make today for tomorrow. And there's a podcast that some friends and I have been listening to for a while called becoming something. And mm-hmm. their motto is um, every moment is training for a future moment. And so you know, for me, it was really good to hear you guys talk about how the decisions that I make right now and the habits that I build right now that we build as students, those moments and those decisions are being trained um, so that we can make better decisions in the future. And that these little decisions that we're making now matter because they're yeah. shaping the decisions that we're making in the future. So that was really, really, really impactful for me. And I hope it, it it's impactful for the the people that listen as well. In terms of a question, Something that popped into my head, Dr. Martin, was, you know, we've talked about rest. We've talked about replenishment, different strategies and different habits to implement to to better rest and to better find replenishment. Do you think that there's a line that doesn't need to be crossed in terms of too much rest and too much replenishment to where almost like avoiding work, if that makes sense? Oh, it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's no, funny it, because growth requires stress and rest, right. stress and rest. Right. So that's an interesting one. You can you got to keep it in balance. Jim, I liked your response. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. And by the way, thanks for that. Becoming something. I wrote that down, Tyler, because that's that's valuable to me. Yeah, that recommendation. There's the difference in rest and refusing to work. You know, you, you can be a gamer and play all day and do nothing. That's not rest. For the self to, to have a healthy rhythm of work and rest, it, it requires both. Uh, for me to refuse to work or uh, to just want to play all the time and have somebody else, I don't know, take, that's not what we're talking about. Um, and, and I think that's to miss something that work offers and that true rest offers. Mm. I'm not sure what that is, though I've had these conversations with with a few people that, for whatever reason, just don't want to work. But I wouldn't put that one under rest. Yeah. Right. Hey, Jim, I guess what I hear you saying is work is a blessing and so is rest. Rest is a blessing. Yeah. 
It's uh, I really love the atomic habits of improving every day that both of you guys talked about. And I know that your wife is an Alabama fan, as is mine, Jim. And when I was at uh, when I was at the University of Alabama getting my graduate degree, I used to play the tennis courts were right next to the football facility. So believe it or not, that was during the time where I could just walk into the football locker room and change into my tennis gear and then go back out and play tennis. So I would see football players in there and everything. And they had a sign above the door when you exited the football facility to go out to the practice field that said, don't return until you have improved. And so, yeah, Yeah. so I always liked that about the practice, right? You're going out there to practice, improve on something today. And it's, I, I, I actually also really like your morning mantra, basically, where you get up and you basically give it over to the Lord and say, you know, help me to be there and to be open for you. As Tyler knows, I always like asking two questions. Uh, I asked for a book recommendation, but before I ask for the book recommendation, I want you to put yourself in a time capsule and I want you to picture 21-year-old Jim Martin. You see, he's trying to do everything he thinks is right. He's trying to live the best life he knows at that time. If you could go back in time and whisper in his ear, what would you tell him? I would tell him to talk to people who seem to be doing something right and ask good questions. You know, when I look back, there's there's a lot of things I do different, but I'll tell you one thing I did that I'm glad I did. I was probably 24 and I was a very, very young minister, very insecure. And I started, I started asking people to drink coffee with me at lunch I'd find me somebody like John Wood and I'd say, could I ask you just a couple of questions? And, 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 and Tyler, I would really think through my questions mm. and I would ask a question like, what is the most significant thing you've learned in the last 10 years that I need to know? Mm. And I mean, I'm writing the answer down in front of him. And then I might ask another question. What's something you would warn me about right now? And I'd write that down. Even even telling this right now, I'm thinking about a man who warned me about a certain behavior that he got in the middle of that actually wrecked his life. But I would do that. And what I've found is a lot of people are willing to do that with you if you'll just ask. And if you're prepared, you're not going to take a lot of time now. And some students... I know some students are part of a Christian university like Harding. I mean, to find somebody on campus that you just admire, that you're in, for whatever reason, just to say, could I spend just a little bit of time asking you a couple of questions that I have? And then what you do is you begin, you've got your own university going. Harding's fine, but you've got your own. And it's the university of figuring out how to make life work. And you're the president. And you're asking these people questions. I found that so helpful. I'm a good bit older now, but not long ago, I asked a man who probably close to 15 years older than me. I said, how do you navigate this point in life? How how do I do that well? I'm still asking some people these kind of questions. and so. That's just one suggestion, but that can be really valuable. 
Hey, Jim, who, who, who are your mentors or who have been? Can you give us, uh, I know that you've introduced me to a, a man, Bill Petty, who's been yeah, a wonderful yeah. contact for me. And I, I feel I feel good and, and smarter and better every time I talk to Bill. So I appreciate that introduction. But who yeah, would absolutely. be some people? That would be one. Uh, Bill yeah. Petty. Bill Petty, he's the former dean of the business department at Abilene Christian, has taught at Baylor for years. So many former students keep in touch with Bill mm. because he asks very good questions and he listens well. But I watch the way he treats his daughters and the way he treats his wife. And I, I've asked Bill a lot of these kind of questions. He's one. Uh, Lynn Anderson, who preached mm-hmm. in Abilene, Texas for many years, then Dallas, and uh, he's in, Lynn's in his mid-80s, but uh, one of the goes. scariest, yeah, one of the scariest times in our lives, about eight years ago, Charlotte and I called Lynn because he knows us. There was a man on campus not long ago when uh, the Botham Jean, remember that, the memorial? Yeah. Well, on the front row was my friend, Ken Dye. I met Ken when I was a young minister and he was preaching in Lubbock. Ken lives outside of Nashville now. And I used to ask Ken these kind of questions. You, with some people, you these mentors, you, you ask these questions for a season. And others, maybe somebody will be around much of your life if you're fortunate. Anyway, those are three of mine. Well, that's Didn't great. Mean you go on and on with that. No, I, I no, I was I was locked in on uh, listening, bringing back good memories and and good people. Next time you're in town, Tyler's joining us for coffee, Jim. All right. So all right. I'll ask uh, you all two questions each. Well, there you go. That we, we would have a lot of fun uh, doing would. that. So, Jim, do you have a book you would recommend to a college student as they're getting ready to graduate? and start life, maybe get married and something like that? You know, there's a little book and it is a little book in the name of Jesus written by Henry Nowen, H-E-N-R-I-N-O-U-W-E-N. Nowen was a priest, worked with disabled adults for a number of years, taught at Harvard and Yale both, I think. That little book, In the Name of Jesus, I remember reading that as a, as a young husband, father, and, and I think it would be fine for college students. And just basically gets to the essence of what it's like to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. Oh, that's a great one. Talking to you makes me, uh, and, and about all these people and all these different issues, makes me realize how many good things and how many good people there are out there who want to and uh, have a relationship and glorify God, right? I mean, we, we right. just had homecoming here on campus, and oftentimes we hear of the conflict or the bad things or the polarization, but really the majority, uh, well, there's a lot of people out there who are on this walk with us. It's a, there's a lot to be thankful for and to be positive about. So, That's right. Tyler, exactly any, right. any final words before we, we let Jim get back to his regular job? <laughs> no, sir. Dr. Martin, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. We appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed it so much. Thank you, John and Tyler. And I appreciate the work you're doing and the opportunity to be on this podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim.